And there came a day, a day unlike... Wait, no, that's been done. Hmm. Who knows what evil lurks in... No, that is that other thing. What has yellow skin and rights? Ah, forget it. You're listening to Panelology. Excelsior, oh, damn it. Welcome to a special episode of Panelology. I'm Alex. I'm Brian. I'm Megan. And I'm Jeremy. Yay, we got it in one. All right, Jeremy. Welcome back. Yeah. Thank you. You are our first return guest. Oh, wow. I am so honored to to be the first return guest. (laughs) It means that we realized... Oh, wait, we don't have our go-to question to ask this time. We'll have to just jump <laughs> right into it. Uh, we're, we're working without Annette or Frankie or any other Mouseketeers this morning, <laughs> evening, night, whatever time it is. Uh, it's internet time, so it doesn't matter. It's kind of like in a casino. Time doesn't matter. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so how have you been? How's it, how's it going? Uh, I've been good. Very, very busy of late. But uh, you know, busy is, is a good thing when you're a freelancer. <laughs> Certainly better than the alternative, I imagine. Right. Yes. Yeah, you've no, got... I had lots of time to, to spend time with my family, and that's a terrible thing. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a good thing. It's not. Yeah. Well, hurricanes probably don't help that either. Oh, well, this this one was interesting because we were supposed to be right in the path of it. I, I live in Durham, North Carolina, and we were supposed to get uh, hit pretty dead on with it. And then not only did it not really hit Durham, we weren't even here when it got here. Uh, we were at SPX in, in Bethesda, Maryland. And uh, yeah, so we weren't here and neither was the hurricane. <laughs> well, that's fortunate for you. Yeah. Uh, some of us, Brian, had a wedding they were supposed to go to get canceled because of it. Yeah, well, I was supposed to be at a wedding in Hilton Head that weekend, and uh, that didn't happen. Ooh, that yeah. would not have been a good place to go to. No. That took yeah. way too long to be canceled, for the record. <laughs> they held on as long as they could. They did, yeah. I think it got canceled, like, Wednesday before the Saturday wedding, so, yeah. Ooh. Yeah, that uh, Hilton Head not, would not have been a good place to have a wedding on, on the weekend of the hurricane. <laughs> well, and it was an outdoor wedding, so yeah, like, no, no. We had to do it in canoes. It's, uh... <laughs> oh, damn, that's a good idea, actually. Yeah, that's a different kind of ceremony, though. That's, you kind of got a plan for that. But uh... The death that you've heard is much easier when it's in the middle of a hurricane. <laughs> Who knows? That might only be five minutes. <laughs> you just don't want to drop the rings and let them get washed away. That's yeah. The best man has to go but a diving great story. for them. So you say you've been pretty busy. Uh, <laughs> tell us what you've been busy working on. Uh, so October is going to be a fairly crazy month for me um, because uh, I have... Um, Four new books launching, um, plus a Halloween Comics Fest book. Um, so this uh, this first week, when we get into October, uh, we're going to have the first issue of Rainbow Bright from Dynamite coming out. Um, and then later this month, we're going to have um, the first issue of Princeless Volume 7. Uh, we're also going to have the first issue of The Unstoppable Wasp, uh, the new volume of The Unstoppable Wasp. Um, the first issue of my little, or the My Little Pony Nightmare Nights miniseries, and then uh, we're gonna have the uh, Raven the Pirate Princess uh, Halloween Comics Fest book. Oh, cool. Halloween! So not much. <laughs> <laughs> Just literally a book every week, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. A uh, book every week, and then one extra. You know. That's fantastic, yeah. sir. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's a really interesting process because I feel like I have been busy, but everybody assumes that I've been like super busy, 
But like, you know, all this stuff is is written like months ahead of time. Like this volume of Princess has been done like on my end for like a year at this point. So like everything else is like trying to get crammed in there, but uh I'm well enough ahead that it wasn't like I'm not I'm not, I'm not raising my blood pressure or anything. Good. 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 So let's Let's start with Wasp, because I think Brian and I both nearly vibrated out of our chairs just at hearing the words again. Yay! (laughs) We are back with Nadia, and with Janet, and with everyone else at Girl, and what's going on? What's happened since, that you can talk about, since the the end of the last volume? Um, well, we covered a little bit of that in in the issue, but mostly it's, uh, you know what what people have seen in the comics. Nadia's you know, been an Avenger for some period of time, saved the world a couple times. Uh, you know, is now a champion. Um, you know, has been still working in the lab beyond that, and uh, you know, is much is much busier than she ever was living. You know, in an underground bunker. Um, so uh, she's she's got a lot going on, and uh, we we more or less pick up with her and you know the agents of Girl as well as. Uh, Janet, where we where we left them previously. Cool. So they've got the lab now and are working there. Yep, they've got the lab. It's uh, a little bit nicer setup than it was when we left off. Obviously, they've been hard at work. Um, everybody is uh, working on their own projects, and Nadia is busy balancing being a scientist and a superhero and. And anything else that she can possibly get her fingers on, because you know, she's always trying to make up for lost time. Do you have a uh, like an elevator pitch for what this kind of first arc is that you could share? Uh, yeah, the first arc is it's actually about largely about uh, the return of AIM, um, advanced idea mechanics, the the evil uh, team of of mad scientists that have have lived has been part of the Marvel universe for decades now. Uh, you know, funny-looking guys that dress like beekeepers, um, but have been out of the game for a little while, thanks to uh, you know the various teams of, of U.S. Avengers and stuff like that. Um, but uh, Monica Rappaccini, who uh, we'll remember from the first volume of Wasp, is uh, the evil woman in a giant robot running around town um, that Nadia fought in the first issue of the first volume, is uh, putting together her her own version of AIM. And uh, trying to to reform that that once great evil science organization, Nadia and uh, Girl are in her way. Excellent. Is this a really easy jumping on point for someone who hasn't read uh, the last? Was it two volumes? Once. One well, volume. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's eight issues total, but oh, okay. they they broke them up into two books. Um, so like, uh, yeah, I, I think. It should be a very easy place to, to jump in and just uh, pick up with you know Nadia and all the rest of the team. We make sure to introduce everybody, um, and uh, our our villains are all pretty new, so you you get to meet them along with everybody else. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a lot of uh, the first issue is a lot of fun, and the the first arc is going to uh, introduce some some neat and uh, in some cases I feel like pretty important kind of stuff. And we'll see some other familiar faces come back too. Maybe some a little more spandex clad. And uh, yeah, I mean for sure, we we definitely have um, both uh, both Janet, the original Wasp, as well as uh, Mockingbird, our uh, regular fixtures on the team. Um, <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll we'll probably see some some more folks beyond that, but they're going to be the the main recurring ones. Oh, along with our uh, are good uh, wrestling, not so bad baddies from the last volume, the uh, the grapplers who are making a return appearance. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna put my wish out there for you, just for you to consider <laughs> as it goes into the future. That whole Nadia, that whole Nadia Doom thing that was in the Avengers was pretty amazing. So if he should happen to show back up somehow in the future, of this that would be pretty cool. <laughs> Yeah, I would love to do another story with Nadia and Doom. I think it would be interesting, especially considering uh, the the recent shift in Doom um, back from being, you know, 
the rather uh, still still pretty snotty but generally benevolent uh, doom that he was for a while there to being uh, back back to his old tricks as he is in Fantastic Four. But that's also sort of uh, that's sort of the rub of the issue is he's also over in Fantastic Four doing things. So I have to find a way to uh, borrow him from uh, from Dan before I can do that. Sure, sure. How about, uh, unless either of you has any more Wasp-related questions, let's talk mm-hmm. about Nightmare Nights, which is, uh, from what I know about My Little Pony, kind of a different sort of setup for a story, uh, focusing in more on kind of the, the, the antagonists, the bad guys as a team, right? Uh, yeah, to some extent. I, I described it as the uh, My Little Pony Suicide Squad. Um, <laughs> they're, I'm they're all Yeah, they're all former villains. Um, they, this team is, is put together by um, Princess Luna, who is herself a, a former villain, you know, the, the bad guy of the first episode of the My Little Pony series. Um, to, uh, they have to pull off a heist uh, from this this other world where there is a uh, there is a uh, castle that is also a, a casino um, that uh, is acting as sort of a, a gathering place for all these uh, villains from other dimensions um, and basically the, the fate of, of our and, and all other worlds is on the line are you telling me this is a casino heist book it is a casino heist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, it is a, a casino heist uh, with magic and ponies, and uh, <laughs> I get to keep using the phrase uh, "My Little Pony Suicide Squad." Um, <laughs> so so just... somehow with My Little Pony Suicide, I imagine they have like like garlic packs in their mouth that if they don't do the right thing, they they explode and make their mouth taste bad or something. <laughs> Yeah, we left out the uh, the actual suicide part of yeah, right. That was suicide, right. Yeah, exactly. Probably smart. Yeah, it's you know, Hasbro has their limits. <laughs> uh, Understand? Yeah, it's, it's fun because we get to um, we get to use some of some of my favorite characters from the show. Some of the um, you know recurring villains turned you know in some case heroes, in some cases just generally kind of less villainous. Um, and then uh, get to bring back a couple of villains from the My Little Pony movie from, uh, I guess it was just last year that that came out. I guess maybe a year and a half or so now. How much can you talk about who's on the roster and uh, who people can expect to see without maybe giving away surprises or whatever? Oh, they're they're all sort of out there now. Uh, so we've got um, Princess Luna leading the group, uh, Stygian, who is the uh, principal character from uh, Legends of Magic that I, I was running last year and from the previous season of My Little Pony, uh, was a big part of that. Um, we have uh, Capper the Cat from uh, uh, from the My Little Pony movie, as well as uh, Tempest from the My Little Pony movie, who uh, I get to use as a, a bad guy in an earlier arc in the, the main book. Um, she's a lot of fun. Um, we also have the... Uh, the great and powerful Trixie on the team, who is always just just a joy to write. She is a ton of fun. It sounds like you have a lot of fun on this book. Oh yeah, they're all they're all characters that are a, a ball to write that don't necessarily have to learn lessons about friendship because that's not necessarily the biggest concerns in their lives. Um, it sounds like there's a lot of interesting elements in this that aren't in some, and you know, in some of the other My Little Pony stories. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I feel like it's uh, it's a lot of fun because we get to do a different sort of thing than what the the My Little Pony stories usually do. Uh, sort of as as the nature of the you know My Little Pony franchise goes. Um, you know, when you get to take the bad guys out for a spin, you get a pretty pretty different uh, type of story. Yeah, I, I wanted to try something that was uh, 
had some fun sort of genre conventions that weren't necessarily the genre conventions people are used to seeing in, in My Little Pony. How much trickier is it to try to pitch something like that that plays against what you know a franchise that someone else has to approve decisions for uh, compared to something a little more normal for them? How how much trickier does saying I want an all-villains team get. I think it was interesting because um, what I had originally pitched was was just doing something with um, characters that, that weren't being used in the main show. Specifically, I wanted to do um, you know stuff with some of the, the movie characters, but also the uh, the you know legends from the previous season that we had that they had uh, introduced but weren't part of the story they were telling right now. Um, and I, I sort of put a pitch together for those characters going on a mission. And um, Hasbro was like, you know, we, we like the idea of the pitch. We don't feel like these characters uh, are are big enough or have a big enough fan base to, uh, to merit doing a whole miniseries with them. Um, and my myself and... Bobby, my editor, sat down and sort of talked about like, you know, how we could change this up to, to be something more uh, that, that had sort of the same feeling we wanted from that story, but with uh, characters that Hasbro felt a little more invested in. And, um, you know, this sort of sprung out of that idea, and it was another one of those things that, that both of us were like, ah, oh, they probably will say no to that. Um, but it's a fun idea and we'd like to do it if they, they did say okay to it. And if not, maybe we'll get something else. Um, and you know, funnily enough, Hasbro was like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> and, uh, so, so we, we kept going with it and, um, yeah, it's, it's got all kinds of, you know, fun heist twist and turns and, uh, some pretty cool villains that, uh, we're, we're getting this sort of slowly reveal here. Um, but there, it's it's a really fun, entertaining book to me, and I'm I'm glad they kind of uh, decided to just kind of let us go <laughs> and, and do this weird thing. Yeah, that's awesome. It sounds super cool. All right, I remember as a kid watching the Rainbow Bright movie <laughs> and being absolutely terrified by it. I'm glad you went there because I was thinking the same thing. I, I, I don't know if it was just a, I was too young and it was the 80s and everything was kind of terrifying and bright or <laughs> if like I would not rewatch this thing forever and then it kind of just slipped out. So I guess I guess where I'm starting with is am I normal? Was that that terrifying? <laughs> and then we can talk about the comic. <laughs> it's, it's interesting it's interesting that you you mentioned that because um when I, I told my wife I was I was writing a Rainbow Bright comic, the first thing she remembered was that they uh, a couple of times they did these sort of live action bits before the shows where there was like uh, there's like these specials where there was a person in like a a regular person dressed in a giant Rainbow Bright costume with like unblinking eyes and an unmoving <laughs> mouth and stuff that she remembers as being absolutely terrifying. <laughs> Um, I don't even uh, remember like, seeing that. I just remember the movie itself scaring me. Yeah, apparently, there's a there's you can look it up online. There's a thing where like I guess Rainbow Bright is at the San Diego Zoo, and um, <laughs> it is it is genuinely a, a pretty scary looking costume. <laughs> um, but like it's you know the the weirdness of it. I, I think it's a very clown kind of weirdness, and that like she's smiling, but there's just like her eyes don't move and her mouth doesn't move and she's talking and dancing and singing. Um, <laughs> it's, so. it's almost like a costume that someone wears, but like, it's not a costume. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like a mascot thing, except for, you know, yeah. it's a human, which is exactly so weird. <laughs> oh. So this is a horror comic, right? That's what we're getting at. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, it's funny because uh, what what we went for is um, 
you know, for, for people who've seen Rainbow Bright who remember the original series, um, it's a very, like, it has a lot of elements of fantasy and sci-fi stuff in it. Um, and there's a lot, it's, it's very, like, full of ideas, and I, I think it's sort of a symptom of it being an 80s cartoon where, like, a lot of it was merchandising, so, you know, they they introduced a lot of things um, <laughs> because, you know, that's the thing they're trying to sell this week. Um, and oddly, it's only, like, 13 episodes. That's all, like, the original Rainbow Bright is. Um, but it's, it's endured a very long time um, and been, you know, very, very popular despite not having really had a cultural foothold since the 80s. Um, I don't know if they if they came to you, but I saw a couple of Rainbow Bright cosplayers over the course of Dragon Con. As in 2018? Yes, this year. Yeah. Yeah. I met at least one who who came by my table and gave me uh, they they did DC, I guess, did a comics adaptation of the uh, original like 80s Rainbow Bright movie um, which she gave me a a copy of the comic, uh, which was very cool. But uh, I haven't seen too many, and I'm sure we're probably going to see a lot more once the uh, the comic starts coming out, because we're um, we're taking very much, I think, the the fantasy and and sci-fi elements of it up a bit, even, and um, really sort of playing in that world, because I think it's it's in a lot of ways sort of an ill-defined world in the show, and. Um, like there's a lot of hints about uh, all this this stuff and all the things that uh, are out there, and they don't really explain what things do or even where Rainbow Bright comes from. She just sort of shows up fully formed in the the first episode um, <laughs> to save the day. Um, and so we wanted to take the opportunity to do a big sort of um, almost like a, a middle grades fantasy sort of story about you know uh, this this young girl becoming rainbow bright where where she comes from and um bringing in all these sort of characters from the show and sort of reinventing and, and re-hyping some of the characters to, to update them a bit um but we're gonna go very very big and very fantasy and, and really get to play in the world and in a way that they never got to do in the show uh, which i'm pretty excited about no, i'm yeah. excited this was this was definitely one of my cornerstones of childhood so i am all for this <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's it's. I feel like Rainbow Bright, in a lot of ways, like hints at being cool, and like there's all these. <laughs> they all wear sort of sci-fi inspired retro futuristic like space wear, but like it's and... it's hard to figure out where they are or what they do or what the clothes are about. Like a lot of the you know fiction around it has been sort of added later in, in books and fan theories and stuff <laughs> like that, which is, is really interesting to try and figure out like what, what is actually established and what is like people trying to go, well, what were they getting at? <laughs> yeah. One of the things that's always just personally really interesting to me in especially licensed, like licensed adaptations of, properties that are 20, 30 years old and have like a cult or fan following that's rooted so much in nostalgia is how people go about updating that and making people kind of get the same thing from it without just doing the same thing that 20, 30 years later you can't necessarily repeat. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's tempting. And I think when we were... When I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with this and, and what I wanted it to feel like, uh, I looked a lot at uh, the like Kelly Thompson's adaptation of, of Gem and the Holograms. Like, I want it to feel like what you remember the thing being like, rather than what it's actually like. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, because that's um, that's something that I've I've learned sort of the hard way as a as an adult with with children is like when I go back and try them try to show them the stuff that I thought was really cool as a kid. I'm like, man, Masters of the Universe is kind of terrible. <laughs> yeah. He-Man Al- is not a good show. 
we've talked about that. It was a while ago, but we talked about on the show, Alex talked about how there's a difference between just doing something like it was before for nostalgia, right? Yeah. And capturing the feeling that it gave you, but then using that feeling to, in modern terms and art and, you know, that kind of feel, to, to really make you feel that same way again. Yeah, and I, I think it's really interesting because as, as relatively small uh, a blip as, as Rainbow Bright was the first time around, I feel like it's also it also has this very early place in like magical girl stuff. Like it, it predates a lot of that, but it, it includes the you know sort of regular girl who gets you know incredible powers and transforms and saves the day, and, and she exemplifies a lot of those like generally considered you know female traits uh that are held as heroic in this story like empathy and kindness and um you know things like that she's she's not a hero because she's good at punching um <laughs> you know she's she's a hero because she's a uh, you know an, an ordinary person that shows you know extraordinary kindness yeah well so Brittany williams is doing the art right yes and if you look at that first cover, that, I mean, that's just gorgeous. Like, I love that look. Yeah, the the covers are, are being done by uh, Pauline Ganachow, who is okay. really yeah. amazing. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Yeah, and, and she's done – I think they just released the third cover. So the first three covers are really, really spectacular. And uh, you know, Brittany's doing all the interior work, okay. and, and her stuff is great. And um, – I, I was a big fan of hers already from her work on, you know, Hellcat and, um, and, and uh, uh, basically everything she's ever done. I've been <laughs> a big fan of, um, you know, my, I've read several of her books with my daughter, which is, uh, it's nice to be able to be like, Hey, you know, that book, you like them. I'm working with that artist now. <laughs> <laughs> Does that win you cool points? Um, yeah, I think, <laughs> you know, I think my, my seven-year-old is starting to get the idea that, that not everybody's parents draw or write comic books <laughs> and that it's, it's a pretty a pretty cool thing for your dad to do. Um, Thanks. But, yeah, I think there was a this period there for a while where, you know, I knew that she understand, understood that I made comic books, but uh, I think she understood that other people's parents don't. and everybody has an awesome job that's right yeah (laughs) well let's talk about princeless and then we can talk a little bit about raven uh the the holiday the october not october fest halloween fest Fest. (laughs) there we go um september 1st past it's halloween season you should know this yeah i know i just (laughs) Oktoberfest is what wanted to come out of my mouth very very much (laughs) That would be an interesting um, twist. We'll, we'll just call it the uh, Ice Raven, the Pirate Princess. <laughs> but uh, we are up to Volume 7 of Princeless. Yes. So for... Still going. <laughs> still going. Still going strong. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually had someone else uh, who we talked to a few days ago. And we were talking about we had this interview coming up and his response was oh he does princeless i love princeless um josh hood who who did uh we can never go home yeah Um, but uh yeah so where are we where are we at now for those who maybe haven't read in a while or aren't caught up uh so let's see so we laugh we asked left uh adrian sort of uh leaving the mountains uh for the first time sans her loyal companion Bedelia um, off on a quest to to rescue her uh, oldest sister uh, Alize who is uh, imprisoned in the, the desert um, you know Bedelia decided to stay behind with her uh, formerly estranged mother they uh, finally got to, to meet up and talk a bit a little bit in the last volume um, so Adrian sort of off on her own with her her dragon Sparky again uh, just like in the beginning and uh, we sort of pick up with her um, having having some difficulty uh, finding anything in the desert. 
uh, not always a place with very clear paths <laughs> and uh, not doing a great job of uh, of not taking shots at uh, at at Sparky for uh, for this and you know sort of uh, being being the mean and stubborn person she sometimes can be to her her poor also lost dragon <laughs> <laughs> how uh, how tricky is it going from having Bedelia around as someone to kind of sound Adrian off of to not having that as as the um, arc kicks off you know I, I think it's a little it's a little tricky in the beginning um, but I think a lot of what Adrian does is sort of a, a reaction to not having her around and to uh, you know having to deal with being on her own and uh, you know not, not have somebody to blame when things go wrong um, you know I think um, Adrian has has had to come with to terms with a lot of things about herself and uh, the previous volumes and, and we'll have to do so I think even more in, in this volume as she's sort of increasingly frustrated with uh, the way her quest is turning out um, so yeah it, it worked out pretty well to uh get poor poor Bedelia out of the way before uh, Adrian ended up you know blowing up on her too <laughs> well the the subtitle for this volume is find yourself right mm -hmm. so that kind of uh, I mean I'm guessing that kind of informs where we're at with Adrian and what her places oh, in yeah. this quest kind of do yeah yeah for sure she's uh, finally you know without She's getting towards the end of her quest. She's only got, you know, her her oldest sister and her uh, one younger sister to to find yet, and she's uh, sort of getting to the point where she's gonna have to figure out what this was all about and actually, you know, where where she goes from this point now that she's, uh, you know, done done being, I mean, generally pretty reactionary in this story, you know, where she's just. Um, Sort of striking out against the the stuff that she hates, she's got to figure out what it is she actually wants to do now, um, which is uh, not not as easy as just being upset about the way things are, you know. Yes. At the same time, she's been off reacting, like her her home, the world, maybe not directly around her, but but where she's from, things are still going on without her and gears are still turning and a lot of things that she's maybe not directly aware of are happening that I imagine too at some point she'll have to deal with as well yeah for sure she's um, you know, she she doesn't know about some of the, the other things that have been happening and uh, she'll, she'll definitely have to uh, step up and I think put some of the uh, things into practice that she's been uh preaching thus far <laughs> um, so it, I think it'll be uh, it's going to be interesting to see how she uh, how she does that here in the real world if if she makes it that far but this this volume also finds her uh, finally coming face to face with the black knight who's been uh, sort of shadowing her and, and following her all this time so you get to see them actually face off here that's going to be cool. I'm looking that forward to that. That would be very good. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned that her quest is kind of coming to an end. Is there going to be a story past that? Or does this mean that the comic is starting to approach the end? Um, so we're going... This main story um, of you know Adrian saving her sisters and um, her, her family, I guess, is... Uh, as it goes, uh, is going to run, I think, 10 volumes total. Um, so we've got a, a few more volumes left in us, but we're, we're moving towards sort of the end game of this story. Um, and we'd like to do more princeless stuff after that. Okay. We don't intend on, you know, shuttering the, the book or franchise or anything like that, but this is, um, that's good to hear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is, you know, heading towards the the end of you know this story that we've been telling for seven years at this point. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 you're saying that may be like a different story, or that may launch into a different series. Yeah, I've I've got a lot of um, 
we've got a lot of other things uh, we'd like to do, and okay. um, you know, Emily and I and Action Lab in general have discussed sort of uh, where we'd like to see it go after this. Um, but yeah, this will be you know sort of the uh, the final uh, last couple stories of, of this chapter, and not just uh, not just the comic, but in Adrian's life. I'm I'm excited to keep reading. Yeah. I'm excited for you to keep reading too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some of this stuff I've been uh it's interesting because, you know, in, in some cases I've been waiting uh, you know, several years to write some of this stuff that I, I knew was coming. Um so finally getting to uh commit it to paper and, and seeing it um slowly uh turn into a real thing is uh it's pretty incredible. Yeah, I think we may have talked a little bit last time, but you you kind of work out your plans for this and for Raven pretty far ahead of time, don't you? Oh, yeah. I, I script sort of well ahead. I've got volume 10 of Princeless written at this point. Um, so I'm, I'm effectively done with this part <laughs> of the story. Um, you know... Uh, Actually, Volume Seven is is completed art and everything, so that'll you know start up in October, but that'll be running till January, and then um, right behind that, starting in March, we'll have uh, Volume Eight coming out, which is also already illustrated. It's got some some guest artists and some oh, uh, different types of stories, and then uh, yeah, Nine and Ten are are big last two volumes they they kind of started out as one volume and ended up turning into two over the the course of writing and editing and rewriting and re-editing <laughs> so yeah it's it's a little bit bigger of a finale than we had originally started with that's cool though yeah yeah and let's talk a little bit about the uh the raven raven halloween fest not october fest alex uh, Halloween Fest issue. Yeah, um, so this was this was a really cool opportunity. Action Lab wanted to do a uh, Halloween Comics Fest story and uh, asked me about doing a, a short Raven story for it. And uh, I got to to work with uh, you know, one of my favorite artists who uh, has actually done some stuff with uh, Princess before, uh, my friend Megan Wong. Who uh, illustrated this this short story in here, which is uh, sort of a a spooky uh, Halloween themed type tale from uh, Raven and her crew that will fit in, uh, I think, pretty nicely between you know years two and three of, uh, of Raven Pirate Princess. That was my next question. <laughs> um... Yeah, it's uh, it's a nice little. Uh, it actually ties. Sort of directly into the first issue of year three, which, uh, uh, like I said, I've, I've already written that. I'm, um, I'm actually like twelve issues ahead on Raven. <laughs> um, yeah, so I've I've already written the next next twelve issues of that. Um, but yeah, this uh, the Halloween Comics Fest story will sort of fit kind of snugly into uh, the first issue of of year three, which will hopefully be out. Uh, Towards the end of this year, beginning of next year. Do I remember? I may, I may have something else bouncing in my head. Do I remember though seeing that Raven is going to digital first and then trade collections? Is that, or do I have something else? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, we started. Um, we started doing that towards the end of uh, the previous volume. Okay. That's um, right. We've been doing it with uh, the last last volume plus of year two. Um, yeah, and that um, you know we were we were having some sales issues for a while. Um, you know that as any comic does after after it's been around for uh, at this point it's almost twenty four issues yeah. um, of this book that have come out. Um, and yeah, you know, we we sort of I took that to to the internet and to uh, Tumblr and Twitter, and um, we got some some pretty awesome support from people online. And, um, you know, there had been a lot of people that had been interested in the book and just hadn't thrown down the money for it for whatever reason. Um, so they uh, jumped in there, and we, we cleaned out Amazon of books a couple of times. <laughs> and 
Um, you know, we had a really uh, we had a really good run. A lot of people really supported the book, so you know, it was no question that it was going to keep going. Uh, but when we sat down and looked at the numbers, like those those sales weren't really reflected in you know physical single issues. What we had sold almost entirely were uh, digital single issues and, and trade collections. Um, so it, you know, it's, it's pretty obvious where our audience was in continuing to to print and solicit a monthly book. Just didn't just didn't make sense for the series. Um, so yeah, we we switched to doing you know strictly digital on the single issues, with obviously the exception of the Halloween Comics Fest book. Um, and then we're you know continuing to, to put out the physical trades, which you know, sell really well through the the books market. And um, we're continuing to work on those as we go. And um, I think you know we're going to try and turn that change into a uh, sort of a feature with the next year. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that. Uh, We'll be able to put together a couple of teams on art, and we'll be able to uh, produce, um, you know, single issues and therefore trades a bit faster. Um, so rather than you know having a trade come out every uh, four or five months, we can you know do it every three months or so. Yeah, I think I mean, obviously for you it makes a lot of sense uh, here, but this is something I feel like I'm a little surprised more books don't do this. Yeah. The, the, you know, I think you see, maybe not so much in the big two, but I think you see a lot from creator-owned books, and I know Image has books that, I mean, Sunstone's one of their best sellers, and you can read it for free on DeviantArt, but <laughs> it does gangbusters and trades. But book, I, I'm surprised more books don't go more to more toward a digital first or straight-to-graphic novel approach. Uh just kind of as those those sales numbers really move in certain parts of the market toward supporting graphic novels and trades and and digital sales more. Yeah, I think you know there's um, there's obviously a desire to support local comic book shops, which uh, I think is a big concern for yeah. the big two and stuff like that. Um, but I think you know. Local comic shops sell trades and stuff as well. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we, we sell quite a bit of those through, you know, local shops through Diamond and stuff like that. Um, so I, I don't think uh, two are necessarily mutually exclusive, but I think a lot of people get scared at the idea of, of doing things, uh, you know, digital first or digital exclusive. But I think we're seeing a lot more um, of, you know, companies moving toward that kind of thing. Marvel's been... Doing their, uh, I mean, I did the Comicsology exclusive um, Thor versus Hulk miniseries mm -hmm. last year, um, and then they've done, you know, a few with Iron Fist. They just had a Jessica Jones story that came out that same way. Um, so I think they're they're starting to see more of the value of it, and um, you know, DC's tried some of their stuff. I mean, Bombshells had a pretty pretty long, pretty successful run coming out digital first. Um, that, you know, they were collecting that in single issues as well, which uh, I don't know how much that actually benefit them. I wonder if, you know, that might have done better if they'd done digital issues and then physical trades like we're talking about. Yeah, I I think there's probably still a lot of figuring out of what, you know, how do you optimize that. But I think we'll probably see, especially once, like you said, more people come to turn, you know, come to grips with, you can buy trades and sell trades through your comic shops too. Mm -hmm. I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I know, well, that's just me speculating on industry stuff. I, I think it, I think it makes a lot of sense for smaller publishers too. Like the big two, I mean, obviously they're going to get orders and space from local comic shops. But a lot of the smaller press folks, you know, the comic the local comic book shops aren't really ordering much from them anyway, and yeah. or you know maybe just a few issues. Yeah. So. Maybe that's where this makes more sense. I don't know. It's easy to armchair yeah, quarterback. It, it is. But I, it is. I, yeah. I think it's interesting. It's it's fascinating to me the way, you know, the industry tries to change and catch up, and and the way it acknowledges maybe shifting sales habits as technologies change. Um, I don't know. Maybe that was just me chasing my own rabbit for a moment there. Yeah. No, I think. Um, 
I think there's definitely a, a move to at least recognize and, and try out some of these other marketplaces. Um, you know, DC has announced their sort of middle grades and YA lines, um, but you know, Marvel is also, um, you know, they're putting together a collection of the first run of Unstoppable Wasp, of, you know, all together in one book at a uh, six by nine format, so more of a you know, standard bookshelf size, yeah, classic comic kind of size. Um, you know, they're going to sell through not just comic shops, but also you know Barnes and Noble and book fairs and stuff like that. Um, so they're doing that with you know that and uh, Ms. Marvel and Squirrel Girl and uh, Moon Girl things like that. But I think there's you know. They they certainly try. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it seems like, you know, some of these things may be a hard sell to some of the uh, other folks in the industry. But at the same time, like, that's why Unstoppable Wasp is, is coming back. It's not because it ever ended up doing well in single issues, but because it did very well in trades. And, uh, you know, they, they saw that there was a, a potential future in, in that book and in that character. For sure, you ha- you have two very certain supporters here. I can tell you. So. <laughs> I was debating whether or not to take a crack at Alex, who basically is like, "I'm Alex. Have you read this comic yet?" So. <laughs> I know what I like. Um, That's right. They were making fun of me earlier for having a print up on my wall. <laughs> but yeah, well, I have uh, I have the same print on my wall. Uh, <laughs> let's see. I can see if I can get my camera to take a picture of the. Uh, yeah. Oh, see? Yeah. Beautiful. See, it's not just me, you two. Oh, I know. We knew it wasn't just you, <laughs> sir. Uh, uh, I made a little collage on my wall here. Let's see if I can get a little closer. That uh, I was framing some art and stuff I had. And this has got the original solicit from the, the first issue of. Unstoppable Wasp, and then Elsa's print, and then uh, the the issue with uh, my my good friends and Mythbusters, Tamara and Tracy, who uh, ended up signing it and sending me a a copy with their signatures and a picture of them from Mythbusters and all that stuff. So that's awesome, pretty cool. That's great. Yeah, and now uh, Tamara was consulting for me on this first issue of the new run because uh gonna do a whole section where nadia explains uh drifting in the story <laughs> and, and i wanted to make sure i got all my physics right so i had to uh had to go ask a scientist nice. i love it I yeah are uh are the interviews and in the back matter coming back too oh absolutely awesome in fact, I've already done um, at least seven of them, um, <laughs> wow. so it'll have to last at least that long. Um, but uh, yeah, our our first one uh, is actually a, a very, a very special interview with uh, a, a young woman named Julie Sage, who was a, a big fan of the, the first run, and then talked about us on her her own personal science podcast that she does. And uh, yeah, since since then I've been keeping up with with her career, and she's got like spinning all these like programs for robotics and physics, and is just like just killing it science wise. She's she's been amazing. So uh, we we decided we wanted to try and interview her for the first the first issue, and we had to do uh, we had to get everything okayed with her parents, and then you know make sure all the all the questions were. Uh, were, were fun and appropriate. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that was that was fun, and she's she got the whole whole interview section this first issue because she's got a, a ton of stuff she's doing. She's pretty amazing. That's so well, that's, cool. Th- that's fantastic because I mean you know she's obviously she could fit right in with girl, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. She's a. Uh, she actually started her own group of of young female scientists as well. So. <laughs> That's so amazing. I love that. I love that. That's she's she's out so there doing it. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. I was I was talking to somebody at at San Diego Comic Con about uh, all the 
really cool people I get to interview for this book, including uh, I one of the interviews that uh, I think will make it into this first few issues of, of Wasp is uh, I interviewed a, a woman whose uh, title is, um, let me make sure I get this right, um, Lead Planetary Defense Engineer. <laughs> All right. Which is the coolest title. Yeah. Um, yeah. If nothing else, from this point on, she's got the resume game beat. Um, <laughs> yeah, we we get to talk a little bit about like what what exactly that entitles and and uh, what a cool title it is. And that was that interview actually uh, we had to get approved by uh, by NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab to <laughs> be able to nice. run it. That's amazing. That's super cool. Yeah, which trading emails with the the supervisors of the Jet Propulsion Lab was not something I thought I'd be doing when I got into <laughs> comics. So. But see, that kind of thing is why I love this book so much, because it's not mm-hmm. just optimistic, but like it actually manages at the end of the day to make you feel better about the world around you, and not just purely escapist, which is a thing I, I, I appreciate in its own... Right, but this is something different in that way. And that's, I know for me, like, why I was so frustrated when the first volume ended and why I was so excited when when you told us it was coming back. Yes. Yeah, I think, you know, that, that's important to me is, is this sort of feeling of optimism that the book has. And at the same time, um, that we we sort of, go ahead first into stuff we think is important too you know we doesn't really shy away from dealing with things like you know janet and hank's relationship and um you know having sort of those those hard conversations that that you have to have sometimes in in real life um you know and that that was it was an important chance to do to handle something in a way that i i felt like it had been uh, either mishandled or, or not completely handled, and that like as much time as people have spent uh, trying to develop Hank's character around that, and having Hank talk about you know his his hitting Janet, like you very rarely hear anything from Janet on the topic, and you know actually getting a chance to have her put her story out there and, and talk about it was was important to me. And, you know, that was one of those things that, like, when I knew issue eight was the last issue, I was like, all right, this is a thing that has to go into this story somewhere. Um, you know, I, I knew that I needed to have that bit and the, uh, you know, the bit with uh, uh, Nadia deciding to take Janet's last name and that last issue. Like, those were, like, waypoints in this story <laughs> that I was like, all right. These things have to make it into this issue no matter what else happens. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, as we record this today, the 24th was the last day for comic shops to put in their orders, but it's not too late for, pe- for, for Wasp. It's not too late for people to say to their shop they'd like a copy if, if they'll still have some available. What when do people need to to if you know off the top of your head get with their shops about the other things we've talked about to make sure they can get copies um well uh rainbow bright the first issue is going to be out on on wednesday the third uh so very soon uh i will will be on a train to new york city the day that comes out for new york comic-con um so, uh, you know, first, the final order cutoff for the first issue is, is already passed, but it is an issue one, which is generally the issue that sells best of everything. So if you get that first issue and you enjoy it, you have to make sure you let your comic shop know that you, you want to keep getting it and you want to keep um, being part of that story. Um, because, you know, first issues, to some extent, sell themselves. It's the issues after that we have to worry about. Yeah. Um, right. So... Yeah, letting them know that you want to subscribe to that and that they should keep ordering it is the, the biggest thing. Um, yeah, and so, like you said, the final order cutoff for, for Wasp was today. Um, and again, that first issue will be out the 17th. But if you're not already subscribed to it, 
if you just are planning on going to the comic shop and hoping they have a copy there for you, um, you know, I, I would say it would be great if uh, you, know, you go in and um, tell them you want to subscribe to the book because that will make sure they keep ordering it. Because uh, comic shops, you know, are, are they have sort of the burden of having to guess what they're going to sell and uh, can't afford to to make too many mistakes. So yeah. if you go in and tell them, I will be here and I will buy this comic if you put it aside for me, uh, you're doing them and, and us a great favor. Yeah, well, and Diamond always prints a little more than what gets ordered, so it's not impossible for them to get a few extra copies and sell these books out, too, if they if they do proactively go in and say, hey, I definitely want to read this. Yeah, I mean, it... The, I mean, that final order cutoff is only for, you know, the first printing. Um, it is not unheard of for, you know, if there is enough demand for a book to uh, sell out before it even goes, you know, before that first issue even comes out, in which case they'll, you know, go to go to second printing right away. And that would be, that would be fantastic. So, you know, if that you don't already have, if you're not already subscribed, it would be immensely helpful to do the book and your retailers and, and, all, all the rest of us to uh, go ahead and, and subscribe to the book. And I, w- I would imagine with starting Volume 7, uh, the people who are fans of Princeless and getting those floppies probably already know, but if, uh, if you're not one of those, then go, go pick up those back trades and start <laughs> reading because they're really, really good. <laughs> well, they get caught up. Yeah, I mean, yeah. They're pretty easy to get a hold of. They're, you know, all the first six volumes are readily available for order. So if you're, uh, if you let your local comic shop know you want to get it, they can they can get it for you. Or if you don't have a local comic shop, you can go on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or wherever else and, and get yourself a copy. Um, and you know, if you prefer not to have the physical books, it's on Comicsology and pretty easy to get. All right. And I don't think we've said this so far, but if it's not implicit uh most if not all of these books are books that you could read with your kids if you have kids <laughs> and are looking for, for something to share that way yeah i don't i don't know any of the ones we've talked about that you couldn't yeah 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 i, I think uh al- almost all of the books that I've, I've written are are good to share with your kids raven might be a little old for some uh some yeah. folks taste it's a little more aimed toward a ya crowd but there's uh you know not not anything uh, explicit in there. Uh, I would say maybe the only book I've read that you definitely shouldn't read with your kids is Vampirella, and that's, <laughs> uh, that's that not was, going on right now. So. That, yeah, right. That was a different yeah. thing. It was very good, though. <laughs> I do have a story oh, about people's kids reading that when we're not recording. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> um, it's a good and funny story. Oh, I, I, I know who it is and whose kids you're talking about, so yeah. that's okay. Oh, no. Thank you. You know, it's a fun story where Vampirella, you know, it's the sort of story where Vampirella rips a man's jaw off and beats another man with it. So, you know, <laughs> you know yeah. it's Vampirella, right? Yeah. That's your kind of book. Go for it. <laughs> Thank you for coming back and talking to us again. Um, it's always a lot of fun to have you. Just uh, as enjoyable this pleasure. time. Yeah. Yeah. And, Thank you. Uh, if you are listening, go buy these books we've all talked about. They're wonderful and fun and all of that. Even though I haven't necessarily read things that haven't come out yet, I, I, I have good faith that that will be the case. Any other conventions besides New York Comic Con this year? Uh, so New York is my, my second to last. Uh, my final one will be uh, Bull City Comic Con, which is here in Durham, North Carolina. Nice. Uh, and that'll be the... Uh, second weekend of November. It's uh, November 9th, 10th, and 11th. And uh, we're going to have a, a special exclusive uh, cover for, for Rainbow Bright there, as well as uh, or we have a film fest as part of that comic convention, and they're going to be showing the, the Rainbow Bright movie, Rainbow Bright and Star Stealer there as well. All right, Alex, we found plans for you for that weekend. Yeah, I can, I can come face my childhood Finally fears. face your fears. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I love it. All right. Uh, I think that probably will do it. I'm Alex. I'm Brian. I'm Megan. And I'm Jeremy. All right. We'll be back next time.
Rainbow Bright. I mean, wow, I'm yeah. all about hearing about Rainbow Bright. So I have I haven't heard that name in a while. Yeah, get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> She's back. Deadlier than that. Probably the inappropriate voice for that. Damn, I was Deadlier really hoping. Average. 